Let me say again, what a joy it is to have you here on this Lord's Day, beautiful Lord's Day that He has blessed us with. We are in the series, Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly World. This is the second week of that series. And if you'll turn back to where we began last week, at 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we'll be reading verses 9 through 15 this week. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we'll begin in verse 9. We had read last week where King Asa began to reign, and God used Asa to bring forth a great reformation in the land of Judah, the land of God's people. And he did a great work in removing all these idols that his former, the former king, Abiha, had allowed to spring up for years in the Holy Land. And there were many, many idol worship, cultic worship idols going on there in Judah. And God used Asa to remove those so that they could come back to the worship of the one true and holy God, Jehovah God. And we also saw where under this reformation there came forth great rest and reinforcement. There were ten years of peace and rest for King Asa and the people of Judah. And there was also reinforcement as they built walls and as their army grew stronger in many ways. God had blessed them mightily for their efforts to pursue godliness as God's people in God's land. And so now, if you are physically able, I would invite you to stand with me as I begin reading in verse 9, and we read through the latter half of chapter 14 in Second Chronicles. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and three hundred chariots, and came as far as Marishah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with them pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell unto none, until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil. And they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. You may be seated. So for ten years, 
God used Asa to bring about a great reformation, a great cleaning, if you will, of the land of Judah. And the worship of Jehovah reestablished, and he gave them peace and rest and security. And then we see in verses 9 a disturbance to that peace, a threatening to that rest. Disturbance and threatening of the peace and security that comes from, a, from pursuing a godly life is always inevitable. Even a man that did what was right, and we read that last week, that it said Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Even a man that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord was not immune to disturbance. He was not immune to a threatening to the godliness and rest that he had experienced, and beloved, neither are we. And sometimes we wonder, why is this happening to me? Why is this army, if you will, coming against me to disturb my spiritual peace, to threaten my spiritual security and rest? I've tried to pursue godliness and to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but if it happened to King Asa, it happens to us as well. And not only that, may we never forget that the godliest person, God in the flesh that walked upon the earth, was constantly disturbed and threatened, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are certainly not better than He, amen? Even though we are doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, there still will be enemies that will come against us to disturb and threaten our spiritual life. I was reading this week where John Newton, and how many of you know the song that John Newton wrote? Amazing Grace, right? The great anthem of the Christian life, so to speak. John Newton had a, a wonderful transformation in his life. He was born again. A wonderful story of salvation for John Newton. Then John Newton uh, continued to write hymns, and he felt called into the ministry. And you would think that anybody that is going to be called into the ministry, that God's going to swing open the doors wide. And that did not happen with John Newton. It took him seven years for the Church of England to ordain him. Seven years for a man wanting to pastor people. And so if it happened to John Newton, if it happened to Asa, if it happened to Jesus Christ, then most certainly we recognize that there are going to be disturbances and threats to our spiritual life, to our pursuit of godliness. Every day, to some degree and in some way, the enemy is coming up against us to rob us of joy, to rob us of peace, to rob us of rest, and security, and we find these things in Jesus Christ. Every day, the battle lines are drawn, and the enemy is coming against us. And how we choose to react, how we fight, makes all the difference in the world as to what we experience in our walk with Christ.
how we choose to fight, how we choose to react to the threatening and disturbances that come against us, makes all the difference in the world. Heavenly Father, I ask for just a few moments that you would fill me with your Spirit, and Lord, pour out of my mouth biblical truths that will grow your people and speak to us, that will refresh them, that will renew their spirit, Lord, that they may too mount up with the wings as eagles. Increase our faith, Lord Jesus, and use this very simple servant. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What do we do when godliness is threatened? We see in the Scripture today that they had experienced peace for ten years. They had experienced rest. They had experienced revival, so to speak, and will further. They had experienced reformation. They had experienced reinforcement for ten years under King Asa. But now, this million Man army of Ethiopians have come against them to take all of that away. And not only of a million men, but 300 chariots. And they came to them. They marched up against them. And so what do we do when godliness in our life is threatened? I suggest just a few things today. The first is to recognize with honesty the threat that is coming against your spiritual walk with Christ. Now that seems like a very simple thing. But do you know it's very difficult actually. To recognize with honesty the threat that is coming against your spiritual walk with Christ. You know, they had had a mighty army prepared, as we read in the verses before verse 9, but not one big enough for this battle. And Asa had to come to the realization that even though they had worked on many reinforcements with their army and with their walls, they were no match for the Ethiopian army of a million men and 300 chariots. It is difficult to come to the realization that there are threats against our spiritual walk with Christ. You might look at me and say, what do you mean, Pastor Allen? I know there's threats against my spiritual walk, but many times we're not honest about them because we allow them to continue on in our life. Amen? Are you all here this morning? Say amen. Okay, I was just making sure... We're not honest about the things that threaten our spiritual life. We think, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's nothing to worry about. And we tell others that might see these things, these situations harming our spiritual walk, and we look at them and we say, don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm in good shape. I've got everything under control. We've all used those words, haven't we? I have, even when others have tried to warn me about threatenings to my spiritual life. No, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. 
But until we can with honesty come before the Lord and be honest with the situation that there are things threatening our lives, there are things threatening our families, there are things threatening our churches, there are things threatening our nation, and they are more powerful than us, and we cannot defeat them until we come with honesty, but with ourselves and before the Lord, that they are true threats to our spiritual walk with Christ. Whatever it might be. The influences of the world. The satanic forces against us. Until we're honest that these can rob us of what God has blessed us with, we will not overcome them. a matter of fact, we welcome them in. We allow them to sit in our living rooms. We allow them into our bedrooms. We allow them into our workplace. Asa had realized that yes, this was a powerful army that had come against them. And we must recognize with honesty the threat that is coming against your spiritual walk with Christ. There are things happening in our nation now. There are things happening in our families now that 50 years ago we would have never thought would have been taking place in our nation. We would have never thought that were taking place in our churches. Deadness, decay, dying. Churches closing the doors, ones that once thrived with great revivals, even here in our land. We would have never thought they're closing the doors. The next generation wants nothing to do with it. Others have given up and quit. Until we are honest about the things that are threatening our spiritual life, we will not overcome them. And not only do we need to recognize with honesty the threat that is coming against our spiritual walk, but secondly, we have to assemble and line up. And Asa did that. And Asa, in verse 10 it says, And Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up their lines in the battle in the valley of Zethata at Merishah. They went out to meet them. They assembled and they lined up to fight with faith. Now they knew they couldn't defeat this army. They knew they were overmatched, but they still lined up with faith. And we must still line up with faith that which is threatening our spiritual walk, our lives, our families, our churches and nations are spiritually destroyed many times because people surrender and they give up and quit. I've been raised in the church, and it doesn't make me an expert, but it does mean I've seen, even though I'm not that old, it does mean I've seen quite a bit of things growing up in a pastor's house, being raised in a church and in our association. And one thing I notice is that when there's a problem in the church, good people quit and leave and do nothing. And it destroys the church. How many of y'all have seen this? It's not my problem. I'm not getting in that mess. And I realize there's ways we can get in a mess to make it worse, but 
There are also ways we can enter into a situation used by God to make things better. And there's a lot of people that give up and quit, so they never see the victory. And they go from one place to the other, and then that place to the other, and that place to the other. And it's always everybody else's problem. Some people are not willing to be honest and to talk. I can't tell you the people that have left this church just in my time of pastoring here that never told me why they were leaving. I would hear it years later from someone else and not even know if that's true or not. Even when they had opportunity to talk to me, to share with me concerns, never said a word to me. You can't overcome something if you don't line up with faith and talk to your brothers and sisters. They assembled and they lined up to fight with faith. They knew they couldn't win this battle in their own strength, but they lined up. Because they felt that they were defending something more than just their lives, but they were defending the work that they had done in the name of God and for His glory. Remember, this was not a heathen nation. These were God's people that had just spent ten years of going through a great reformation, of tearing down cultic idols, restoring worship, working hard. And I say this, that in, when, when your godliness and your spiritual life is threatened, you've got to line up as if it depends upon you, but believe that victory depends upon God because it does. And that's like the, the work in the church. We've got to work as if it depends on us, but believe that it depends upon God. Both are equal parts. And we can pray that God will do this and God will do that, but He's still going to use us when we line up, when we put our hands and feet to the task, when we give, when we love, when we serve, when we forgive. When we help others, then God blesses. But thirdly, and most importantly, we must pray for God's help. We must depend upon Him and wait upon the Lord. Look at the prayer again in verses 9 through 15, or actually beginning in verse 11. So, they recognized the threat, they lined up, the battle lines have been drawn, and then Asa cried to the Lord his God. Look into the prayer. O oh Lord, there is none like you to help. In other words, in all of our resources, in all the way that our army has grown, there is none that can help us like you. I have no warrior in my army that is as powerful as you. There is none to help like you. And he said, there's none to help like you between the mighty and the weak. And listen to what he said. Look at the humility. Again, he was being honest. I am weak compared to this army. And there's no one else I can call to. No one else I can run to. You are our God, he goes on to say. Help us, he cries out. Help us. Sometimes we think, for God to hear us, we have to, pray, uh, we have to pray King James and speak very eloquently and have beautiful prayers. But I love this. This is raw. There's no one to help but you. Help us. You're our God. And God hears that prayer. And many times He hears that simple prayer, I would say, over the one with many words. 
It's a cry for help. Help us, O Lord, our God. You are our God. We have cleaned out the idols in our land. You are our God. You chose us. You brought us out of the land of Egypt. You led us through the wilderness. You led us into the land of promise. You have helped us. You are our God. You love us. You chose us. We are in a covenant relationship with You. We rely on You. And in Your name... Only in your name. If it wasn't for your name and the work we've done, we wouldn't come against this army. But because of what you've done for us, we're lining up in faith. But we're relying on you. It's a great multitude. Oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And I love how he kind of puts it back on God. And God wants that. That's not a bad thing. God's saying to you today, just throw it back on me. I'm God. I can handle it. Load the wagon. The mules are fine. I want you to throw it back on me. I want you to trust me. I want you to depend upon me. Oh Lord, you are our God. Don't let people that don't know you and don't love you rob you of your glory is what Asa is saying. And we know the story, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians there that day. Every day, to some degree and in some way, the enemy is coming up against us to rob us of our joy and our peace. And we must be settled that we'll be honest about the threats that are going on to our spiritual life. There are threats and disturbances to my spiritual peace and rest and security and joy. And, we must, and I, I've got to be honest about that. And at times I've got to be willing to assemble against those things and line up, re- recognizing they're stronger than me. And then I pray for God's help. I depend upon Him and I wait upon the Lord. You see, true godliness doesn't happen because... Uh, we march willingly to battle. A lot of people are, every day, they're battling. They wake up mad. Amen? And they're mad when you see them at lunch, and they're mad when you see them at supper, and they're mad before they go to bed. They're wanting to battle every day. And they've got an opinion, and they think the whole world needs to hear it every day. Finding people willing to fight is not a hard thing. It's not a difficult thing. But true godliness doesn't happen just because we march willingly to battle. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of of church people, even in my life I've seen, they're willing to march to battle. But that doesn't mean their spirit's right. True godliness doesn't happen because we are willing to march to battle, but because we are saying, I'm trusting you, Lord. And I want you to be glorified. And true godliness isn't saying, I'm going to battle, God, you got my back. And a lot of pastors have failed in that as well. And probably I have too. That I've thought, you know, since I am the pastor in this community or this church, or then God's got my back and I'm going to go out. No, 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 no. No, we don't go out like that thinking we've got our big bully behind us to protect us if things get over our head we don't go out to battle like that that's not the way Asa went out to battle 
And it's not the way we are to go out to battle either. True godliness happens when we're willing to march towards the enemy that is threatening our spiritual life, but depend wholly upon the Lord to bring victory. Dependence upon God, not ourselves. True victories in our spiritual life only come when we depend upon the genuine champion, Jesus Christ. A football coach asked one of his linemen to help him do some recruiting. The lineman was honored, and he said, All right, coach, what kind of guy are you looking for? He said, Well, you know there's that guy that comes out, and he gets knocked down, but he doesn't get back up. And the lineman said, We don't want him, do we, coach? Coach says, No, we don't want that guy. He said, And then you know there's the guy that comes out, and he gets knocked down, and he gets back up, but he gets knocked down again, and he doesn't get up. And the lineman said, We don't want that guy either, do we, coach? He said, No, we don't. And then the coach said, you know, then there's that guy that gets knocked down and he gets back up. He gets knocked down and he gets backed up. And he gets knocked down and he gets backed up. And he just keeps getting back up. And the lineman said, that's the guy we want. Right, coach? He says, actually, no. I want the guy that's knocking everybody down. (laughs) Beloved, no one can stand against our champion, Jesus Christ. And some people's wills are stronger than others. And there are some things in my life I have a strong will about. There's other things I don't, as you can tell by looking at me. Some people do have stronger willpower than others. But eventually still they get knocked down. And the only way to survive is when we get behind the guy who can knock everybody down. (laughs) And that's Jesus Christ the champion of love, the champion of life, the champion of salvation, the champion of redemption. And you know, He loves that. He says, come on, trust me. Depend upon me. What's at stake here? What can we lose if we don't depend upon Jesus when our godliness is threatened and disturbed? Well, we're going to lose victories in life. And I've learned that I can, I can know and sing the song Victory in Jesus and be defeated at the same time, right? And we're going to lose our peace. We're going to lose spiritual rest. We're going to lose hope. And we live in a world of much hopelessness. All these things can be robbed of us if we're not careful. Our security in Jesus Christ... All these things come against us and rob us of the life. Here it is, the life that God has designed for you to live. And He came for you to have it. God loves you and He wants you to have those things. Yes, you're going to have armies come against you, so to speak. And yes, you're going to have things more powerful than you come against you. But the victory is His if we'll trust Him. I end with this story. Pastor and Christian author Bruce Larson tells the story how he helped people struggling to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And for many years he worked in New York City and counseled at his office there. And any number of people who were wrestling with this yes or no decision to trust Christ. And so then he would say, well, I suggest that you take a walk with me. And they would walk from his office down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue in New York. 
And in the entrance of that building is the gigantic statue of Atlas, a beautifully proportioned man uh, who is with all his muscles straining, and he's holding the world upon his shoulders. Even if you've not been to New York, we've seen that statue, right, of Atlas holding the world upon his shoulders and seeing the burden of it. And, and then Bruce Larson would, would take the people to that statue, and he'd say, now look at that. That's no way to live, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. But he said, now come across the street with me. And he would take them across the street on Fifth Avenue to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, little boy Jesus, 10, 12 years old or so. And there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, perhaps eight or nine. And with no effect, he's holding the world in his hand just holding the world in his hand. And the Bible tells us that all things were created for him and through him and hold together because of him. And then Bruce Larson would say, my point was illustrated graphically, and he would say, we have a choice. You have that choice today as well. You can carry the world on your shoulders or... You can say, I give up. I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world. I give you the whole world. And you know what? Why wouldn't we? It's His world anyway. And I can't carry it on my shoulders. I can't even carry my little part on my shoulders. We need God. We need Christ to depend upon in these times and to bring us safely home. Amen? God today is inviting you to trust Him with your world, which is His world. And God is inviting you to depend upon Him with all that threatens you. He's saying, come unto me. Bring it to me. You don't have to put on this big face like, you know, I've got this one, God. If it gets any worse, I'll let you know. That's not true godliness, and it's not a true spiritual walk with Christ, and it's not what God wants. He's asking you today, surrender your all today. Trust and obey. That invitation is for each one of us in this room today, but also it's for the world. Trust me. Call on me. Depend upon me. Will you do that today?